Hello and welcome back to Bombatho, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. Welcome back to me, Lee Roden. I've not been here for a while. I've also never spoken about myself in the third person before, so there's two firsts for us. Uh, and yeah, this is the second time that we're trying to record because we're a highly professional operation and I forgot to press the big massive red button that says record on it. I am joined, as always, by Alexander Jonsson. I'm also joined by Morten Glinvad. We're going to do some proper introductions. So first of all, I will throw over to my incredibly more capable Swedish colleague, Alexandra. Where are you? What are you doing? I am back in Spain and in Vigo, you know. And yeah, I've been watching Copa del Rey and been super gutted that there's been no football going on here this weekend. Um, so that that's what's up with me. Yeah, there has been football going on, but it's been going on somewhere that's not Spain, or at least uh, not in your region of Spain. But before we get to that, I will properly introduce the man who I consider to be the authority on La Liga in Denmark. Morten, do that thing that's really awkward where you have to introduce yourself and tell us about how you got involved in Spanish football, what you're working on. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lee. I started working with Spanish football when I was at a football magazine about 15 years ago. I uh, started, started covering the league. Uh, then I got to, into television, was commentating in Spanish football. Then I moved down there to study at a university in Madrid and I have kept following the league, league as a TV commentator ever since. So yeah, it's been, been quite a few matches matches since then. Yeah, and I think the first place we're going to touch upon is probably the, in brackets, biggest thing that's happened to do with Spanish football this last few days, which is the new, fancy, shiny, brand new formatted uh, Supercopa de España, or Spanish Supercopa, I guess you call it in English. I have my own thoughts on this. Uh, you may be, spoiler alert, surprised to learn it's not always particularly positive, but I'm curious, what do we think of the new format? Martin, what do you think? Um, I mean, I'm not a huge fan, uh, and I understand that you are neither. Uh, one thing is that they moved it to, to, to Saudi Arabia, but still, if they had moved it to, to Sweden or Denmark or Norway, I would more or less have the same thoughts about it. Um, it's, to me, it's just strange taking the top four teams of the, of, of the league out of the league in the middle of the season. We have, we have had the Christmas break a couple of, of, of weeks ago, and then they, they just go away from the rest. It's like, it's like dividing uh, the teams of, of La Liga into, into an A team and a B team. I mean, the top four, you go to, to Saudi Arabia to get a lot of money to play this glamour tournament. Uh, where, where all of the world are, are, are watching uh, and then the rest of, of the league they can play some Copa del Rey matches at some tiny grounds in uh, towns in, in the Basque country or in Galicia or, or wherever so I, I don't like the way uh, that presents the Spanish, the Spanish football uh, dividing it into two different classes yeah, sadly, it's probably in keeping with like a general theme in Spanish football that everyone has known about for a long time, where there's sort of us and them. There's the big teams and the priorities and the, the things that are directed towards them. And then there's everyone else. And we'll kind of think about that afterwards. But then maybe I'm cynical. Alex, how excited were you about this wonderful tournament? Is it a tournament? Can you call it that? I don't know. Something like that. I was super excited. The most excited person of everyone so excited that I barely watched it. No, like, I, I'm, I agree with everything Morton says. And then I also think it's it's strange to change the format of it because for, first off, I think it should be a, as it was before a preseason tournament or preseason match, actually, because it's, it's a good way for, as well, for those teams that are playing the Supercopa, the two teams, because I think it should be two teams as well, uh, to have one uh, real game before the season starts. And 
as you say, you shouldn't take the teams out of the, the league. You just stop the league to play a random tournament in another part of the world, uh, which is just, just weird. But but in general, I think that the Supercopa, what, what the Supercopa is, is that you have the, the league winners against the Copa del Rey winners. And then when you suddenly put two more teams into it, it becomes something else. And if you want to do that, then do that. But I think you should call it something else in, in that sense, because for me, it's not the Supercopa. Yeah, uh, well, we've we've managed to make it four minutes and I'm going to have my first moan. So um, I'm kind of divided about this actually a little bit because on the one hand, I, I, I do understand that maybe the format in some way needed to be shaken up. But for me, the way you do it is you make it a one-legged final. Make it a proper final. That makes it more exciting and people think, okay, this is a one-off game. Anyone can win over 90 minutes or 120, whatever it would be. Uh, so the whole thing is cheapened to begin with. And then the team who finished third in La Liga and didn't play in a cup final either last season being crowned the super champions, if that's the thing. So it, it's sort of, I don't know, it feels like a contradiction in itself. How is it a super cup if there, there are people eligible to win it who have not actually won anything? It's an odd situation. What I think is that, I mean, the players, the, the clubs, they, they really, they took it seriously. I mean, there was no yeah. doubt about that when you saw the reactions after after the after the match. You can also see what is happening in, in, in Barcelona with, with Roberto. That is... Some kind of reaction, not only to the Supercopa defeat, of course, but 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 it it shows that it did matter. But another problem that I have with it is that it's it's uh, devaluing the change of the Copa del Rey because when you read the Spanish newspapers this weekend, the first twenty pages would be about the Supercopa, and then you came into what should really be the story this weekend: the new Copa del Rey and some of the small clubs that could get some some attention, and that was in some way take, taken away because what, what did matter this weekend was the Supercopa. Yeah, and that was the whole thing we were all excited about, right? Rubiales is going to come in, the Federation were going to revamp the Copa, make it better for the little clubs, make it more of a, a level playing field if possible, give us a bit more of a proper cup tournament, kind of like the FA Cup in, in England is, because the Copa has been sort of forgotten about for the most part in Spain. And exactly like you said, it's kind of, it becomes an afterthought now. I mean, most people probably that are not in Spain aren't even aware that the Copa del Rey happened this weekend. And probably a lot of people in Spain aren't even aware that the Copa del Rey happened this weekend, to be perfectly frank. But then, on the other hand, the reason I said I was divided about this is that, well, in part because, yeah, the, the, the teams cared about it, evidently. You can look at the fallout in Barcelona over the last few days for proof of that. And also in part because when it comes down to it, last night was a pretty good game. And so I kind of found myself begrudgingly enjoying it and thinking, okay, this is quite high-level football that we're watching being played here and probably more entertaining than the, the last Madrid derby we had in La Liga, at least. But then I want to talk about, so who, who comes out of this tournament best? Because there are a bunch of people who do well out of it and a bunch of people who don't do well out of it, apart from the pockets of the respective people that have been paid to to hold it in Saudi Arabia. So my first person that I thought came out of it well, which is in keeping with his form actually in the last couple of months, is uh, Thibaut Courtois. He had a really good game last night and I was one of those people who was not quite sure if it was going to work out for him at Real Madrid, in part because last season was a little bit ropey and in part because Keylor Navas has to, to go for him to become number one. And he's a big figure there, has won a lot of trophies and is very loved, I would say, by fans. But he's proven me wrong. I think he's starting to look more like the, the Courtois that Chelsea wanted so desperately that won a league title and a cup title for Atletico Madrid. So I think that this is in last night's performances in keeping with a general upswing for him and he'll go back to Spain now feeling even more positive and being of more benefit to his team. But Martin, any players, any teams, any people who you think come out particularly strengthened or weakened from the tournament? Yeah, I think as as, as you mentioned, Couture is, is the obvious choice. He will go back to to, to Madrid with a lot of, of of confidence. I think we have we have to mention Federico Valverde again. Uh, it's not it's not like that the Super Copa was his breakthrough because he has already had his his breakthrough the last the last few months, but. 
but he's, he's just uh, confirmed that in, in these uh, high quality matches against both Valencia and uh, and against that Atletico that he is the heart, he is the uh, the lungs of this this Madrid midfield. The end was of course a bit special with him being sent off and then uh, 10 minutes later receiving the man of the match award uh, that's something you don't see, see see a lot it was also some kind of confirmation that the the position he has in madrid that he he's doing everything uh, for this team for this club to 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 win to 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 get success even if it means taking down an, an opponent and that's something that's uh, that's quite important because maybe the supporters they have felt that they haven't seen it a lot and that's something that they have wanted to see and now he is this young Uruguayan who they didn't know a lot about uh, a, a year ago he's he's giving exactly that yeah I think yeah we uh we talked about this earlier in the uh, this season but I mean when when he was used sort of sparingly last season at Real Madrid I don't think anyone predicted that he would go on to play such a key role just like 12 months later Alex you're very much on the Fede Valverde hype train like the rest of us right yeah of course I think we're we're all getting there now it's quite hard not to, to catch that train at the moment. But I think uh, you both have, have mentioned Real Madrid players. And I think that as a team, Real Madrid is definitely the team that's come out of this tournament the best. We already saw in, in the league that they were getting better and better. But I think to get to, get to go up against Atletico and Barcelona and show that, that you can beat them uh, was very good for the morale of Real Madrid. Um, and I think it's putting them a little bit as well in a, in a pole position in the league for, for how the league is going to develop now in, in the short term to, to be in there for, for the title race, as we have said before, because it's been a season where neither of, of the top three has really lived up to the standards that we expect for them. And I guess Real Madrid are, are now in at least a moral position where it's easier for them to, to get to, to where they should be, the level they should be playing on. Yeah, and it's also crazy to think how strengthened their coach comes out of this as well because I'll hold my hands up and say a few months ago that I thought the Zidane return was going to be a disaster. And when things were looking pretty bleak for them in the league in that little rough patch they had, I probably said that, nah, they're, they're not going to win anything this season. It's going to be terrible. But it looks like he's proven me wrong again. And it's odd. I mean, they're even playing some pretty decent football at patches. The big criticism of Zidane as a coach has always been, well, he's not much of a hands-on coach. And you hear these stories about how sort of simple some of their training sessions is and how much he leaves it up to the individual player. But they're, they they played some pretty nice football last night. They have been playing some pretty nice football and they're, they're evolving. They're getting better. They really great against Valencia, I think. And, and, and what's, what really springs in Zidane as well is that, that again he has found a new a new formation I mean I haven't seen uh, the formation he played in both the Supercopa matches with five central midfielders uh, in, in the same team of course it was something he he did because he was without he was without Benzema without Bale without Asa so he's he realized that he had to do something else, but he could have played. I mean, the, the obvious way to, was to play with Vinicius and Rodrigo, which is something he has done before. But then he invented this, this new formation, and especially against Valencia, it worked really well for, for him. Yeah, credit to Zizou where it's due. A coach whose life has not been quite so uh, pleasant in the, the last week or so is Ernesto Valverde. We're recording right now. He went to training this morning, I believe, or he went to, he reported to the club offices and may even be taking training right now, actually. I'm not sure what the time is. So we'll try and stay away from too many specifics because by the time this is out, you don't really know what might have happened and what might not have. But my, my biggest takeaway from this situation, which if you've been living under a rock, is that Barca have been essentially negotiating to try and bring in another coach whilst their current coach is still in his job. My biggest takeaway from it is I just think that's not the way that you should probably do business and and football regardless of how ruthless modern football has become but then maybe i'm naive martin do you have any sympathy with ernesto valverde yeah yeah i, I do have some sympathy with him i think it's being handled handled terribly by by barcelona i mean 
in a situation like this, if you can't keep negotiations secret, then you have to sack the current manager. I mean, it's it's completely disrespectful towards him. It's undermining his 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 position. I mean, you can compare the situation to last season when Real Madrid uh, sacked the Julian Lopetegui. They didn't know what would happen, but they said, okay, we've we've take, come to the decision that this is the best way to do. We can't we don't trust the current manager, so so we have to dismiss him and then find out what will happen. I mean, having having Valverde coming in today. Everybody in the squad, everybody in the club, they know that the club is actually wanting to to get rid of him and finding another manager. It's it's not it's not the way to do it. Yeah, it's absurd. I mean, how do you go in and try to do your job in any meaningful way, Alex? I know you're 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 a defender of Ernesto Valverde, as I have been over the years. The guy that Barca want to evidently the guy that Barca wanted to replace him was Xavi Hernandez, who they uh, well, it's true that they could not improvise a trip to Qatar. I think it had to be a little bit more uh, pre-planned than that in terms of visas and those kind of details. They they seem to be pretty clear from the second they got there that they wanted to try and come back with his uh, signature on a contract. Um, is it worth taking the risk on a, a coach who has what a few months of experience under his belt to try and try and take? charge of Barca and what is a difficult situation regardless of where they are in the, the table and the competitions are still in about the dynamic around the club right now like is that worth a gamble? To be honest I think this is almost this would be almost more a bigger risk for Xavi than for Barcelona and not in, in the terms that if the rumours are true that Barcelona uh, proposed the job to Xavi and he turned it down I think it just shows a picture and tells you even more what I have been saying, what a lot of other people have been saying about uh, how bad this current Barcelona board is and how bad the current situation in the club is. Because everyone who knows anything about Xavi really knows that he's the biggest Barca fan that you can ever find. Basically, Marc Bartra, when he joined the Barca first team, he said that he he thought he was the biggest Barca fan in the world. And then he met Xavi and realized that he was not even close. Um, and for Xavi, he's saying it now as well, uh, openly, that his biggest dream is to coach Barcelona. And if this guy decides to turn down coaching Barcelona then I think it says quite a lot about the state of the club at the moment um, and I think that that is the, the interesting part because I think that it would be uh, I think it's the right decision if, if that's the case as well from Xavi because I think that if he would take over Barcelona now in the situation they are with as you say with his experience that is very very limited he, he's to start with not ready for a job like that um, and to do it in the situation they are at the moment with a Barcelona that plays a very different type of football with a club that is very, very different from the club that he was in, from the club that he grew up with and the club that he knows very well. And then with uh, a board that I think would only want to get him as a coach in order to get popularity with the fans. Um, and it's a board that would probably turn his back very, very quickly uh, if they needed to. So there, there is not a lot of safety in any ways for Xavi if he would decide to go and take a job like that. So I think what, what it shows more than anything is once again that Barcelona is in a very, very bad spot in how the club is being run. Um, and it shows, as, as you're saying, with the way they are approaching this entire thing, how they're handling it with Ernesto Valverde, but also the thing that they are even thinking or trying to, to appoint Xavi at this point. And also, how do you say no, though, from his point of view? It's, it's difficult to say no. We can all, we can think coldly about this from a distance mm -hmm. and say, okay, reasonably uh, thinking about the situation, it's, it's not a good time for him. He can, he, could, he can wait. But then from his perspective, maybe he in the back of his head thinks, but what if I miss my chance, you know? Yeah, th th this might be, be his only chance to get 
what is basically the biggest dream of his life at the moment because he's already done the biggest dream which was to play for Barcelona and this is the second biggest and this is a kid who is completely kid he's a man now this is a man who's completely obsessed with Barcelona it's like any if you're a Barca fan or any Barca fan you know Xavi's worse this is the club he loves more than anything and he's openly saying that in the press conference as well that his dream is to to coach Barcelona and for him to to turn this down that that is extremely extremely difficult even though he knows that it's the right decision even though he knows that this is not not the situation you want to come into and that it can ruin a lot for his coaching career it is I think the most difficult no you can can ever give uh, out of that point of view yeah, it's a story that's developing fast, so let's see if this section even makes it into the podcast. By the time it gets out, we don't know what may or may not have happened. One of the things I saw, some of the names that Barca are briefing to, to reliable journalists are kind of confusing. One of them is Mauricio Pochettino, which uh, I have all kinds of questions about. I think any second now they're going to say Henrik Larsson is going to be the new Barca coach. <laughs> That, that would uh, I don't know who that would work out worse for <laughs> Henrik Larsson or Barcelona yeah uh, uh, yeah honestly actually genuinely this is a point why is Michael Laudrup's name not been thrown out there because it's usually when this happens when there's this kind of rumour cycle for the Barca coaching gig it's, it's one of them that tends to come up I guess he's been out of the spotlight for long enough right yeah, exactly. I think, as, as you mentioned, it's you can see from every year passing by, his name is is less frequently mentioned uh, when when an interesting uh, coaching position is up, and it's it's sad. But but he, he he took a decision that he didn't want to to follow uh, uh, to continue his coaching career for uh, for, for yeah for different reasons, and it's 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 not really likely. I, I don't expect to see him to see him back back in the in the coaching business. It's a shame because he's a talent. I mean, there's been some better or worse career decisions, but the record uh, in Spain in particular, and then also obviously with uh, Swansea, is pretty damn good. And in Denmark, um, which is a pity. Maybe we have to start that lobby. We can get Laudrup back to coaching. <laughs> I'm sure he'll listen. That takes us nicely on then to the the main focal point of this podcast, and especially this week, which is not just Scandinavians, but this week to the Danes in La Liga. Well, we did a special episode on Michael Laudrup uh, I guess it's a couple of months back now and we we reached the conclusion me and Alex that he's probably and Alex and I said this through gritted teeth uh, because we're big fans of (laughs) (laughs) a few people but he's probably the greatest Scandinavian ever to play in Spain Morton I'm sure you're highly objective on this subject Uh, do you agree and uh, can you give us a picture also how big a figure he is in Danish football in general he, he, I think he's definitely the greatest Scandinavian to, to play in Spain, and he is without a doubt the greatest figure in the history of Danish football. He brought Spanish football to the Danish audience. Uh, before Michael Laudrup played in Spain, we didn't uh, we didn't have the opportunity to follow Spanish football on, on television. So he he shaped the interest in Spanish football for many uh, many Dan- many Danes. Uh, so his his importance for for the popularity of Spanish football in Denmark is huge, uh, and I think his when speaking to him, it's I think it's obvious that his legacy in Spain is probably even greater than his influence was while, while playing there. I mean, I can't tell the number of times I have heard about a, a, a current Spanish player talking about Michael Laudrup as his childhood idol. I mean, I don't hear a lot, a lot that many Spanish players talking about Romario as his childhood idol or Stoichkov, even though they were they were very important figures in, in the same team. Um, so he was as a player, he was probably more more Spanish than most Spanish players, uh, and that's. I think that's the reason why his legacy is that important uh, in Spain, and then also the way he has always uh, appeared uh, to to the audience. He's always been respectful and never any scandals around him, and that's has created a 
a very special position for him as well. And I haven't I haven't worked with him myself as a commentator, but I do know from my from my good colleagues that that going to to a match in Spain with Michael Laudrup as your co-commentator, that's um, you have to arrive early because he has to he has to confront a lot of fans before the matches before entering the stadium for for photo, photographs and and autographs and and just just appearing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've seen him at the camp now a few times in the, the box, the press box. So basically you can say with Michael Laudrup is that he has influenced a new generation of Spanish football players because the way that Spanish football is today is so much, in a way has come from the way that he was playing. And as you say, when, when you talk to, to Spanish players, so many of them saw him uh, as a big role model and he had such an impact, I think, on not just the game when he was playing, as you said, but the game that we're seeing today, which is quite incredible and very few players that, that you can say have, have done it the way that, that he has. That brings us on nicely to Pioni Sisto. Alex, give me a Sisto update. I can't remember the last time that I discussed him at great length with you. Is he still one of Oscar's favoured boys? Well, so both yes and no, I'd say. Uh, the, the thing with Celta, especially under Oscar, is that he changes a lot with, with the players. Uh, he changes the, the formation depending on, on what teams they are, are up against. Uh, what is also, when, when you look back at, at this time since Sisto has been starting and has been playing, is that he has had uh, injuries. So there's been either Denis Suarez or Afinia or Santimina has, has been out and that has made him formate in different ways. Uh, which have opened up for, for Sisto to be playing in those games. Um, and Sisto has been doing it well, uh, which is why he, he gets to continue to play. Uh, it's a, as we have spoken before about Sisto, is that he gets, when he's playing good, he's really good. Uh, but he has this uh, thing where he can just fall out and, and lose that concentration or start focusing on the wrong things. And then suddenly you have a guy who's doing... Uh, tricks with the ball and instead of actually things that would be good and becomes a really frustrating player for, for the fans. Uh, at the moment, he, he's doing well, but what should be worrying for him a bit as well is that there's another guy who's doing really well, uh, which is a player from the B team uh, called Juan Hernandez, who got his, he's got to two chances with the first team against Mallorca and he came on now last time against Osasuna and got quite a lot of, of playing time. And then he's played the last two Copa del Rey games. Um, and in one of them, he scored two goals and I think assisted one as well. And it's just been this fresh air coming into the team. Uh, and kind of you, you notice how he gets other players to perform better as well by the energy that he brings. And you can see that Oscar is liking what he's doing a lot because he's getting more and more time. Uh, so I think, and he's playing, uh, can play on either wing. So he, he becomes a little bit of uh, a threat for, for Sisto on that position as well. So it's going to be interesting going forward. Uh, but I think Sisto has been doing well so far, but, but just knowing Sisto from previous, how it looked when new coaches come in, he's normally starts really well and then he fades away and then he completely disappears. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. But, but for now, he, he's still in good, in good water. Could you say that it's the Sisto chance for uh, Sisto? I think it's Alta, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's awful. Uh, so the, the thing about Sisto that always sticks in my mind is that I remember I used to do some work for Scottish television years ago um, on the Europa League and like previewing the games and stuff. So I, I, I had to look at Midtjylland and that season just before they ended up playing Man United. Uh, so I had a pretty good eye on them that season. And when I saw them and everyone saw that game, but he looked outstanding already then. Um, I'm curious, Martin, for someone who, who saw him when he broke through, was it always apparent that he was going to play at a 
a higher level or was it a pretty rapid uh, ascent? Yeah, he was. She was a remarkable seller from uh, from a very young age. Uh, the story over here was that we had we had to wait for a while to see him with the Danish youth national teams uh, due to the the Danish immigration laws. He only got his Danish passport at the age of. I think he was 20. So his first his first match for Danish youth national team that was at, at the under 21 Euros back in uh, in 2015. Uh, the, the tournament which ended with the Danish defeat in the semi-finals against some mediocre team of <laughs> John Quidetti Sweden. So so he was uh, he was not really established and had his great breakthrough in the in the autumn of 2017 when when Denmark qualified for the World Cup and and, and a lot of people here in Denmark we really saw that at this World Cup 2018 he could be the Danish players which which who would really take a step uh, and maybe get a get a big move after the tournament but but that wasn't that wasn't the case he actually he lost the the, the place in the, in the starting lineup during the tournament during the tournament actually to to Martin Brathray and he completely disappeared afterwards so it has been a it has been a strange story uh, from Sisto but but now now he's back and I think he is a he could definitely be a real option for for the Danish squad at the at the Euros yeah I was surprised at the World Cup in particular that I didn't I thought I would see more of him I would see because he's such an exciting player when he's on his game and when he's when he's in the right mood he, he can be incredible to watch but it was kind of a little bit of nothing but then maybe that's more of a, a coaching matter and moving on to the other Dane in La Liga who other Dane there's more than one Dane uh, but the other the other Danish non-striker in La Liga seamless link here at Bombafa Daniel Vass I like him a lot I've always liked him I liked him especially at Celta I think I know someone else who liked him there I think he's the kind of player who passes a little bit unnoticed sometimes because he rarely has a really bad game but maybe he doesn't also have so many exceptional games at least not uh, since he's been at Valencia until very recently Alex I want to ask you something because we've not touched on this before how much of a miss has Vass been for Celta? You can, I mean, there's they've lost they lost a couple of big figures in the the dressing room two years ago, but we haven't really mentioned about him, and I feel like he was always so reliable and a really good creative influence in that team. Now he's been a, an incredible big miss for them. I think that they have they lost both him and uh, El Tuco uh, Hernandez around the same time, uh, which were the two I would say key figures in in that Celta midfield that also managed to take them to a semi final in the Europa League and and all the success that they were doing. And they haven't really been able to recover since they lost them. Um, where Daniel Vaz was, as you say, he was very. He, he really rarely has a bad game, so he's a very security to have in your team. Uh, and he just becomes, you get into a more, more natural route uh, with a player like him. And since he's left, it's, it's, been, it's been obvious. Uh, it's been, been a huge miss in, in that team, I would say. And I think it's something that is not talked about as much as it probably should be because he just gets too focused on the defence being horrible and that, that's the problem with Celta. But I actually think it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, I doubt that any Celta fan was surprised when he moved up a level, uh, even if they maybe wouldn't describe it like that. But I, I think it, it made sense that he, he, could, he could push himself a little bit further. Um, Martin. I'm curious to what you think, but I, my feeling is that he's having a better season this year than he did last season. Not because he necessarily had a bad season last year, but I feel he's getting to show a little bit more of his all-round characteristics, especially his last couple of months. His burst into form and the winter time has been quite incredible. Yeah, I think he has been great for the last couple of months. He has scored important goals. He has set up goals, uh, so, so some assists. And I think he has really he's now taken this position as, as a right-back, and that is probably the difference from from uh, from last season. I think 
last season, when you look back, uh, then he was probably uh, number 12, number 13 uh, in the squad of, of Valencia. He would play the position if, if someone else was missing, if someone else needed a rest. Uh, he didn't really have, have his own position. He could play right back, he could play in the right midfield, he could play in the central midfield. And, and now this season, due to the injury of, of Piccini and due to his own his own performances, he, he has played for right back for the entire season. So you, you would now say that who is who's Valencia's right back? That's well, that's Daniel Vaz. And when when Piccini comes back now, uh, I, don't, I don't really know when when he comes back, but it will probably still still last a while. I'm not sure that he will get into the get into the to the team because Vaz has, has has done so well. So it's a it's an interesting development because the story in, in Denmark is that that some of one of the problems Daniel Daniel Vaz has had uh, with the national team is that he has sometimes been used both on the Ogaharaide and on the Morten Olsen before as a right back. And he always said, well, I'm, I'm not a right back anymore. That was, that was the position I played with when I was a youth player at Brunby, but I haven't played the position for a long time. Uh, so that was one of the reasons why why it didn't really work out for a long time with Daniel Vaz in the national team. And now he has completely accepted that uh, if he's going to be a regular starter at Valencia, well, then right back is probably the place that, that, that he could take. I wonder if there's also a coaching thing here because playing right back under Salades and playing right back under Marcelino are different things too. I mean, maybe in a, in a slightly more, um, let's, let's not go crazy, they're not a, a, a 100% possession-based team these days either, but they, they'd like to have the ball a little bit more than, than they would under Marcelino. And I suppose uh, even if you're playing it right back, you have more of a chance to exert an influence on play when you have a coach like that. It's, it can have an impact, I would think. Yeah, yeah, could because maybe it's sometimes forgotten that the move from Celta, what was Celta was before, and especially under Eduardo Pirisu, and then going to Marcelino's Valencia, that's actually it's quite a big difference. Uh, but he took that step without without too many problems, which is quite impressive as well. But but I think you're right. I think you're right that probably Celada's his his way of football suits suits Vaz a little bit better than than Marcelino's. I want to ask you something now that is the the big question when it regarding uh, Danes in La Liga. Martin Brathwaite. Explain to me. That's how you say his name, right? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, he has told it uh, himself. It's, it's it's a long story which goes back to to Guyana in South America. That's where his family. Is, is from uh, back in the days. I have to remember the story correctly. Back in the days, his father immigrated from Guyana to the U.S. Uh, back then, his name, his surname, Brathwick, was without an I. When he arrived to the U.S., mistakenly, the I was put into the name, so Brathwick was changed into Braithwaite. Um, but they have, well, they have kept pronunciating the, the name as they did back then, so he still he still says that my last name is Brathwaite, even though when, when you look at it written, then you would say it's Braithwaite, but it's it's Martin Brathwaite. We're spreading the message one day at a time here. Thanks to you, to be honest, the only reason I knew is because of you. But now when I'm watching, uh, if I'm ever watching La Liga and I hear the commentator say Brathwaite, I'm like, ah, yeah, that person knows. <laughs> they just say Martin. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. It's much easier. <laughs> yeah. You interviewed him quite recently in Spain, right? Yes, I went to see him. Uh, was it his, his house outside Madrid? Uh, yeah, he's an, um, I think he's a very interesting character. Uh, we spoke, of course, we spoke a lot because it was... A week after he had uh, scored the goal that sent Denmark to, to the Euros next year, the goal against Ireland. And we spoke a lot about that goal and that, the way he has prepared that goal, it, it tells a lot about him. I mean, he spoke about how he had, before the match, really been visualizing him scoring the goal that was sent Denmark to the to the Euros. He had seen himself uh, in that role. He had seen himself celebrated with the fans. And that's that's uh, something he, he does a lot, uh, the visualization before, before the matches. He works a lot. Uh, on the mental aspect of, of the game, he reads a lot about it, uh, and it's something that he has really been developing throughout his his career. I think he's 
he's using his experiences, his maturity in a in a quite quite impressive manner. He had a he had a a very tough time in England with with Middlesbrough, where he was uh, where he totally fell out with, fell out with the fans, and now in Spain he's. At the moment, he's playing the best football of his career. When you saw the two goals he scored in the weekend in the cup, in the Copa del Rey, you just—that's just, that's just a, a goal scorer. I mean, he's not surprised anymore when, when he scores a goal. Uh, so he has—he has surprised a lot of people in Denmark. When he left Denmark at a young age, going to France, so most people wouldn't have seen him getting uh, into a team in, in Spain and being a, a regular starter with the national team. So the last the last couple of years, he has taken his. His football to another level. Yeah, Alex, I suspect I th- I know actually you share my opinion that he could he could easily play for a, a better team than the current Leganes, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. A player the way he he's been playing for Leganes, it's and also it has to be pointed out that remember that Leganes is a team that is not playing very well this season um, and have had a struggle. And when he arrived there last season, they were struggling as well. And seeing a team like that impress as much as he has and, and score as many goals as, as he's doing uh, is very impressive because you need, obviously, to have great teammates around you in order to, to be able to reach a certain level, which means that if he can play in a, in a team that is a, a level a little bit higher and have even better teammates around him, it's, it would be interesting to see is how good he can become because he's already performing on a very, very high level. The thing that strikes me about him is that tactically he's really sharp. I mean, he's especially now um, since the change of coach he's he seems happy to just drop into the midfield and do that job but when he's asked to do it and he does it really really well and then you put him up front and well now i mean with, with how confident he is he's becoming a sort of like three chances one goal kind of striker when he's in this form which is like ridiculous for like an S to be doing that um, and what he must you might know off the top of your head Martin. i think he's 29 28 29 so he has he has one more move in him you would think at, these days at, at a high level i reckon that if Leganes go down, and no one wants Leganes to go down because they're a unique story in La Liga, but if they did, I'm pretty sure he would have a few offers at his door. Actually, in the summer, uh, because as we know, he was on loan in uh, last season, I, th- I thought in the summer that maybe it, was, it, it, it wasn't uh, realistic for Leganes to, to be able to, to, to get him on a permanent deal for Middlesbrough. So I actually more or less expected that he would probably go to another uh, club in La Liga because he had already shown some qualities last, last season. Uh, but I'm sure, yeah, if, if, if they go down, he would, he would not not have any any problem finding a, a new club in, uh, in in the Liga, and I think he has. I think as you mentioned, he's he's doing quite well uh, playing as a striker or coming in, in, in from the from the left hand side. And I asked I asked him the question in myself, what do you really want to play? And he said, well, it's not it's not that important. He, he definitely sees himself as a striker, but what is important is that when he's playing on, on the left hand side in Leganes and with the national team. To have the the freedom uh, to be able to, to think as a striker, to get into the box, to get into a scoring position. He doesn't want to be placed and being told you have to stay all outside in the playing in, in the wide position. You have to be able to get into the box because that's the way he thinks as a striker, and uh, and he has to to be able to to to, to show that on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on him throughout this uh, season so far and we'll continue to do so because he's a great player to watch and he seems like a great guy as well, which is also, that always helps. I guess to to close up on players and to stay on the subject of strikers and to move to a different part of Scandinavia and a man who already came up in this podcast when we remembered a minor victory over a Denmark under 21 side, uh, Alex, John Gadetti, what's happening? You got some details. Yeah, so I think uh, we are in the in the transfer window right now and I think that the only player that there is anything to, to say anything about regarding that of our Scandinavians is Scudetti. All, all the rest feels pretty set in, in their clubs at the moment. 
so there, there's been a t- some talk about John, so I've been looking into it to, to see what the situation is like. Um, I've heard there's been some, some rumors about the possibility of a move to, to Mexico. Uh, the, the indication and what, what I've, I've got from it that is that that's probably not going to happen. Um, but he do uh, he, he would probably really like to, to get away from, from Alaves at this point. Uh, but it is tricky. It's a very tricky situation he's in because the club uh, is not making it easy for him. Uh, they've actually risen, put, made his price higher than he was before. Uh, while he's been playing less, uh, they made the price higher. Which uh, makes the situation for him very difficult to to actually find a club that is is ready to to pay that and and get him away from from the team. Uh, but he is um, he's still enjoying life in Vitoria and he's still uh, putting in the work and and trying. Um, um, and we'll we'll see how it goes. But it wouldn't be a surprise if he he leaves Alaves this this winter. And if there comes a, a possibility, I think he's gonna take it. He would like to stay in Spain, but I don't don't think that is going to be be the case if he goes either. Yeah, well, we hope to see him playing football at least because it's really hard to judge um, what what he has left in the tank when he's not playing at all. So, regardless of what happens, let's hope that John Gadetti can play a little bit more football in the second half of this season than the first half, anyway. Uh, so now we're we're more or less at the halfway point in the season. We might even be exactly at it. I can't remember. So it seems like before we go, a good time to reflect on some of the the things that have stood out, surprises and disappointments from clubs in La Liga. So I'll start off because it's kind of easy for me. My surprise is Hitafe still competing for. Europe at the same time as maintaining a European campaign and in part I wonder if I should be surprised because of what they did last season which completely defied any expectation but I genuinely didn't think they would be able to balance this and they are doing it pretty well and they, they made some smart signings as well and I, I think they've, they've evolved slightly too there have been certain games where they've played a, a different way to the way they did last year and it's served them well so that's the one that stands out for me and then my disappointment on the flip side is Real Betis. Morton you may not know I'm a massive Ruby fan. <laughs> It's a weakness I've had since he was Girona coach. Uh, I, I maintain that the football he played as Girona coach was just ridiculous considering how bad their squad was and how close they came to getting promoted under him. Um, and last season when he went home in inverted commas to Espanyol and did well, I wasn't surprised at all. So I thought this move to, to Betis would make perfect sense especially as a transition from Kike Setien where their, their football isn't a thousand miles apart even if I think Ruby is a little bit more pragmatic but they haven't really managed to kick off find any kind of consistency it looked like they were going to get a little bit of a bounce but then it sort of faded away again and I'm also kind of disappointed in Borja Iglesias as well I thought that connection would uh, would do well for Betis who needed a number nine like uh, night needs to follow day uh, so I'm going to ask you guys one at a time then uh, what your yeah your surprise of the season is and what your disappointment is Martin I mean it's it's a bit boring to, to repeat what you said, but I'm impressed by, by Getafe as well. I mean, you can compare to Espanyol, looking at how have they managed to to balance playing in Europe and uh, and, and playing at the league at the, at the same time. They have uh, they have been struggling uh, t- terribly. Uh, they also Getafe they actually had a pretty poor start to the season, and they like last season they have just climbed climbed up up the ladder. And I commentated the match against Real Madrid last last week, and it, that was not a even though they lost three 0 they played well. I mean they were the middle team for for most of most of the um, most of the match. Uh, so I think they will I think they'll, they'll stay up there and maybe maybe not qualifying to Europe again, but they'll definitely uh, definitely be, be be part of the be part of the battle. My disappointment uh, has been Celta. I mean last season we all we all saying that well they're much better uh, than being being in, in in the fight for relegation if you believe that which i did you would say they would normally they would just go up mid-table again and then they even improved the squad by bringing in Rafinha, Denis Suarez, Santimina 
and now they are in the same position as they, as they were last season. It's it's really I think it's really sad because I have enjoyed Celta a lot. I've loved the Rado Berisso squad, uh, the, the the style they um, they impressed, and of course we also followed them, especially in Denmark because they had so many Danish players. They really loved the the Danish connection uh, for a while. Uh, so that's. It's, it's sad to see what has happened to, to Celta for the last couple of years. Alex? Yeah, so my uh, surprise, I would say, is uh, Imanol Alcazir. We, we talked a little bit about that before. Uh, that last season, even though I'm not surprised, in one way I'm not surprised that Real Sociedad are doing well because they did the best signings this summer. They did incredible signings and they, they've been so important for them. Uh, but like we talked about last season and also when I've talked to, to local journalists in San Sebastian, that there was a lot of... Uh, criticism towards uh, Imanol and even though Real Sociedad were taking the results at the end of the season they were not really playing the football that was expected from them it felt like they were were lucky quite a lot with with getting results that they were getting and I think that had they not been getting those results uh, because of of how it felt like they they were so lost on the pitch and they didn't have any leadership and all of this he would probably had have gotten sacked before the season was over to be honest uh, but he he kind of saved that by by getting those results. So w- my big surprise is him because this season it's not just that they got the right signings, even if those have been key. It's been how he's been coaching this team and how he's gotten the absolute best of them, and also different decision in in changing uh, substitutions and on how formations for for uh, different games. So I'm very impressed by Imanol in just how he's handled his team. And he's a very young team, as we said many times before. And just for them to keep on being at the level they are. My biggest disappointment, um, I would say, would it's not a specific team, but just in general, that no team has really taken advantage of the fact that the top three have not been uh, at their best this season. Because this has been the season, I think, that if any of Valencia, Sevilla, these type of teams would have... A, played some seasons that we've seen them done previously um, and been at that level, they would probably actually been in a chance of challenging um, at least for a while for, for the title because the top three has not been at the level, the outrageous level that they normally are and so far away from everyone else that they normally are. Um, and it felt like no one has really taken advantage of that at all. Um, and that has been a bit of a disappointment for me. That's a good point. You feel like if the San Paolo Sevilla or the Juan de Ramos mm. Sevilla was around, they would be so. take, they would be taking advantage of this at least until the sort of uh, the crunch stage at the end of the season. Um, okay, that's a lot for today. That's plenty. So we should probably wrap things up. Martin, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find your work? Um, where can they follow you? All that kind of stuff. So you have to go to Denmark and then buy the football magazine Tipsplatet on on, on fr- uh, the, the Fridays. Then I sometimes appear there. Otherwise, they should have. Follow TV Two, the new Danish broadcaster, which has the the, the rights for the league, the Liga in, in Denmark. That's uh, that's also kind of old school because TV Two, that was the broadcaster that brought La Liga to to, to Denmark with Michael Lotter back in the back in the nineties. Nice, uh, Alex. Do you have any crazy trips to third division teams on Mallorca or similar planned? What are your football plans for the coming weeks? I sadly don't have any trips planned at the moment. It's going to be less of them coming up, I think. Uh, which is very, very sad. 
I am already planning though in in February that I'm gonna go to Corocho, which is a part of Vigo, and watch uh, Corocho play against Atletico Baleares. That's the one I have planned so far. Uh, and going to Wolfsburg to watch Malmo play, but that's more. Oh, we haven't we haven't found a, a way to um, somehow awkwardly angle in that tie into this podcast, but we will, I'm sure, at some point in the near future. Uh, but that's gonna be a crazy trip because I'm going to go through a lot of countries and a lot of cities just to get to that random game, and I'll be there for a day and then I go back you're a Malmö manager he used to play in Spain so we have enough ah yeah of course there you go there's a link well that's another podcast for another time because we need to talk about that Uh, and how (laughs) the reaction to that very uh, interesting appointment yeah as I said uh, it's been uh, a pleasure to talk to you two as always it was um, actually fun having you back, even though you're a bit more masculine than Semra. Uh, it was kind of all right to have you back. A bit more masculine than Semra Hunter. Alex, <laughs> Alexander Jonsson's words, not mine. Remember that. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Adeo. Adios. <laughs>